All right, welcome everyone to Deprogrammed on Unsafe Space. I'm Carter Laren, and I'm joined by the birthday girl, uh, Carrie Smith. Carrie, happy birthday to you. Thank you. How are you uh, doing? Can you hear me? Yeah, I'm I good. Well, as you know, we've been having technical problems today. And so, so many. Cart, so many. So my laptop quit working, although I'm trying to get it booted up because the phone is going to die in a minute because it's not charged. <laughs> and, and Carter is in a uh i live in a third world country uh yeah i live in california where we don't have power so i'm at my friend's house on a different setup trying to make it work so if there's any technical issues like can't my you know microphone's weird let me know but today we're also this is um i think it's unsafe space uh history that we're making this is the first time we have a four-way chat uh I don't think we've done a four-way chat before. So and it's a re- it's a reunion with two of our favorite people. It is, and they are Gracie West and Mike Harlow. Hey guys, welcome. Hey. Hi. Happy birthday, Carrie. Thank you. We love you. <laughs> Happy birthday, I you, darling. I, I um I just saw those photos. Well, you know, because I shared those photos from. A, I can't believe it's been a year since we did the walk away thing. So yeah, I know that's crazy. It's been time's been in, it's been in, interesting, like moving pretty quickly. Since we joined I, the clan. What'd you say? Since we joined the clan. <laughs> <laughs> or left the or left the clan. Yeah, right. Le- uh, yes, yeah. left the clan. <laughs> left clan Tifa. <laughs> so um, maybe we should just like uh let both Mikey and Gracie tell uh, a quick story about how they uh left the cult. And why? It's just so people who don't know them uh, get get introduced. Yeah, why don't, uh, Gracie, why don't you, I mean, I know people who watch the show are familiar with your story, but we have a lot of new viewers. I don't know if you've been following, but there's been this whole um, SJW war happening in the knitting community. And what? so we have a, yes. <laughs> and so we what have a lot of- What possibly have to fight about in the knitting community? Oh, oh, you naive young man. Yarn? <laughs> it's a virus and it infects, <laughs> it's affecting, it's infecting everybody. Yeah. But what, no, we, what are they arguing about in the knitting community? <laughs> it's all the same stuff, Mikey. It's like, um, they, they've been forming these mobs and targeting people. And it all started with, I, I won't do the whole overview, so say, but it all started with a knitter who um, posted a blog about how she was going to India. She was so excited. She's always wanted to go to India since she was a kid. And it was all about like the colors of the fabric, blah, blah, blah. She, and, and then she said, um, you know, something like, you can imagine that being told I was going to be able to go was like winning a ticket to Mars. When and she was a kid, she felt that. She felt that. And so they attacked her and said, you're exotic, you're, you're, um, you're engaged othering. in exotification. You're othering Indian people and trying to say they're like alien, like Martians. And you need to, basically they just mobbed her like they do in any community. And they, she uh, started off defending herself and she eventually apologized to the mob. And then, uh, and then uh, they started oh, targeting never. other other yarn store owners and any knitter designer anyone who wasn't saying anything they were like your white silence is violence Ugh. so they <laughs> <laughs> yes so they you've actually, been missing oh my god i gotta send you this video there's one guy ended up uh on suicide watch in the hospital his husband had to 
take him to the hospital because his business was affected and they mobbed him. And, and he was the one who started the diverse, the diversity, diversity hashtag. And, but they went after him. Um, anyway, it's just been a crazy, it's been interesting because as you know, and as Gracie knows, Gracie, you were just saying earlier, it's like a virus and it Uh affects everything. And so we've seen this play out in other communities it's just really fascinating to watch it in one in, in this one, like this one microcosm in the, in the knitting world. It's but it's playing out exactly the way it did in young adult fiction and in gaming and everything else. Comics, everything. Yeah. Well, that's anyway, the that thing was about this idea is like that's the thing is they destroy everything they touch. They don't build anything. They just tear things down and destroy even every little simple pleasure in life, even fucking knitting. <laughs> right. That's their goal, though. That's yeah. their goal. Um, but let's do introductions. Let's, I don't, oh, yeah. let's, it doesn't matter who goes first, but let's, let's, let's have you guys introduce yourselves a little bit. All right. Well, I can jump in. So I'm Gracie West. I was born and raised in California, conservative Christian house, ignorantly went to college and the rest is history. I became an SJW, of course, because I ended up getting a degree in gender studies, or actually at the time it was women's studies because at that time there was such a thing as women. So I did that. <laughs> and then, <laughs> yeah. So my degree oh, is totally, <laughs> yeah, my degree is so not PC right now because it says women's studies, but anyway, it's really the study of, uh, intersectional feminism. So they indoctrinated me into this mindset through very religious like nature uh, with wording that was very virtuous. And of course, I was a good person and they played on my empathy. And before I knew it, I had purchased this ideology, literally, I'm still paying it off. Thank you very much. And uh, I guess I woke up when you know, I was only Democrat by default because that's what they tell you is morally appropriate and approved by the SJWs. So, of course, and of course, you know, Mikey is Democrat by default because he's gay. <laughs> and, uh, you know, we all have a default. So mine was a default because I got a gender studies degree. Well, I didn't know anything about politics, but when when uh, I almost said Bush, wow, I'm old. When Trump was elected, uh, I it was an ice cold you know, bucket of water on my face. And I had to kind of, I had to wake up and go, what is happening? And all my echo chamber, everybody around me said, half the nation is racist. Look at that. And I was like, wow, that's scary. But then I thought that's sounds like maybe, but I kind of unlikely. To, yeah. <laughs> well, at the t- when you have that ideology though, it's likely. And so, and so, yeah, I ended up looking into it a little bit because I was seriously curious and I had to know why And I had to hear it from the people who actually voted for him. And so I went on this little hunt and, you know, lo and behold, what I found was there was a whole bunch of Americans that voted for him for a whole bunch of reasons. And then I started to question some things in my echo chamber. They shushed me and then it kind of pissed me off. So I asked a few more questions and before I knew it, they were ostracizing me. And then it, that's the wake up call. And then you start seeing Antifa act out and you go, Whoa, I don't want to have anything to do with that. And, you know, it's just this, this snowball down a hill. And before I knew it, I woke up realizing I have been walking around in a trans like hypnotic state for decades. And I had this cognitive dissonance where, and that's the fancy academic way of saying the way, what I believed and how I lived were very different. So coming out of this has been sort of like merging my mind and my 
actions together. It's been it's been good. That's awesome. Cool. Uh, Mikey. <laughs> uh, my name's Mike Harlow. Uh, I'm from New York. So yeah, like Gracie said, I think it goes beyond. Shut up. Sorry, my dogs are whining. Um, I think it goes beyond just being gay or being a woman or whatever. I think in a lot of places in the country, maybe even everywhere, leftist and Democrat is just always the default. Um, you know, I think there are definitely people in certain spots who are in a right wing bubble, but it's almost a bubble of their choosing. Whereas the leftist bubble and being pro Democrat is just everything that we're told is objective and neutral and fact based and shit. So, oh my God, sorry, can you vet for two seconds? I just have to open the door for these dogs so they stop whining. I'll be here. One second, sorry. Between Mikey and Carrie. Uh, and our doggies, yes. I know. Well, um, I, I actually, before this started, took my dog and put him in the farthest house for, room from me in this house because he was doing the same thing. I've locked him in a bedroom. Oh, they, it's like they need they need that uh, attention. It's like, you're on, why aren't you paying attention to me? Um, well, hey, I, I just want to say about Gracie, for those who are new, um, uh, well, all three of us met. We had met Sorry. online previously, but all three of us got to meet and at the walk away the, uh, March a year ago, which is why we were kind of talking about uh, those photos at the beginning. And um, I was I was really excited to meet Gracie because we overlap in so many ways. But then also the ways in which our story is different are also are interesting to me. Like Gracie, you were in Gracie was in. You know, we talk about how it's a virus and infects everything. Gracie was more in a Christian SJW community, which mm -hmm. blows my mind because I was in like an atheist agnostic mm -hmm. SJW mm -hmm. bubble. Um, but, but in that subject about how it's like creeping into the church is something that I find really interesting, right? The two places that it's creeping into that scare me the most, I would say, are the church and elementary schools. Mm -hmm, me too. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. Well, that's I the mean, thing is it's creeping into, I think that was like a big part of my walking way also is that I come from uh, being an artist and being uh, singing in bands growing up and stuff. And there is no such thing as art anymore. It's infected every community, everything. And the people who years ago when I was a liberal and considered the things that were integral to me being a liberal, protecting art and being for free speech and expression, those are the people now who want to ban everything. Yeah. And even the Democrats generally have gotten weird, like this, this, um, you know, as someone who was not a Democrat or Republican for a long time, um, one of the things I always appreciated about the Democrats is they were the ones who would be opposed to useless wars in the Middle East. But if you yes. look at what's happening now, they're all pissed at Trump that he's pulling troops out of Syria. And it's like, aren't you the guys supposed to be saying, let's not fight useless wars in the middle east aren't what happened to that the only thing the, the left and the right are united on anymore is like going to war which yeah. i don't where the hell did that happen there is no more anti-war left there is no more free speech left there is nothing it is just uh, they're so crazy i have no idea <laughs> what was that award ceremony that recently put requirements for this diversity quota in there for art like uh, getting awards for artistic stuff you have to actually take into account people's race and sex etc to actually give somebody an award <laughs> yeah know. gracie I have, a, I have a question for you um because you majored in in women's studies how how much of the modern we're calling social justice left 
how much of it is actually rooted in philosophy from women's studies, or do you view it as a separate thing that has happened? Is it an extension of the same philosophy or is it different? Distinctly? Oh, it's, it's just the, it's, it is the philosophy of intersectional feminism mixed. It's a, it's a toxic cocktail mix of postmodern philosophy, critical theory, which is the most racist theory and sexist theory, et cetera, all the ists theory that you could possibly you know, have, and you've talked about this on your show in the past. So it's really a, a toxic combination of a few philosophies, or um, I would say philosophy, they call them, they act like it's truth in academia, but they're right, theories, right. but they're not really theories because what they, what they do is they start with assumptions and then they mix them all together and they build on top of those assumptions as if there's some sort of truth there. Now they have been indoctrinating because it is religious like in nature, they've been indoctrinating just hosts of, you know, college students all across the Western world, not just here in the US. And those people are getting out, getting jobs in random places, you know, media, education, you name it, the church. And they have brought these ideas with them. And because they're religious in nature, they don't see it as the, they, they just see it as an assumption, you know, like if you have a religious faith, there's certain things you take for granted. So they take certain things for granted and they just bring it into whatever environment they're in, but failing to see that these, these things they take for granted are really toxic and they haven't been cross-checked and they're just kind of infecting everything. Right. They're just made oh. up. They're not true either. It's just, it's just a myth. Mm -hmm. Well, and I think that's a good yeah. point too, that I think something really scary is that for so long now we've heard, oh, these kids in college, wait until they get into the real world. And it's not happening. The real world is bending to their will. Yeah. Yeah. They're the real world is the will of these snot nosed kids. Yeah. So, everything. yeah, let me tell you, this is a little bit of a ray of sunshine. So I got this email from my son's school and his pr pr uh, principals yesterday. And it said, we're shutting this school down for a week. If you're, when your kid arrives, we are locking all the, the entire campus. It has a gate around it. We're locking it. They are not leaving for lunch, this, 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 and that. They're just staying in here until the bell rings and then they can go home. And when they do leave, they're going to leave the parking lot immediately. And he's like, they've been disrespectful to surrounding businesses on their lunch breaks. They have been dropping garbage in the parking lot. They've been, been reckless driving out there. And he goes, I'm shutting it down. And he goes, and no protest by any parent or student is going to change my mind. And I was like, yes, <laughs> I, that is. I, I emailed him immediately. And I was like, you are awesome. And I just wrote him all of this praise of good job, you know? <laughs> That's what you have to do is you have to support people these with a backbone these days because there's so few people yeah. who have one. People are so, I mean, look at the Evergreen College um, SJW takeover and how the college president was bowing to these, these kids who, who were disrupting class and taking over campus and basically, um, uh, what's the word? They were, they were uh, emasculating him. Yeah. And he was just like taking it. I mean, the way I, the way, go ahead, go ahead. No, I was just going to say the way I view this is um, I think actually the, the corrupt philosophy has been accepted by many generations now. And all that's happening is the younger generation is more consistent. And so the older people who are in charge don't have any uh, moral ground to stand on. They just have to bow because 
when these kids protest and say, you know, when they use critical theory and they say there is no gender or you, you know, sorry, there is no, there's not two sexes, there's infinite number of genders and, and, uh, you know, whites are racist by virtue of the fact that they're white. All that stuff is consistent with the philosophy and they can point back to the philosophy that a lot of their older professors and older people in charge actually accept the tenets of the philosophy. They've just had cognitive dissonance because they don't live by them as consistently because they grew up in a time when you couldn't live by them consistently. So it was kind of like this academic exercise. But now you've got a generation of kids who have taken the words of their professors seriously and are actually trying to implement them. And there's no... There's no moral uh, ammunition against them because the, the people they're fighting against actually were disarmed a long time ago, intellectually. And it's crazy, too, because I think a lot of people fail to realize that this is not liberalism. This is not any ideology that we've come to know in the mainstream before. Like, you know, if you look at anything that is being pushed by the media, um, there was this, oh God, there was this article a couple weeks ago that made my head explode. I think Carrie actually showed it to me, but uh, it was NBC saying how uh, heterosexuality is a choice and that uh, people should just choose to not be straight. So this is the sort of toxic, radical, radical leftism that is being injected into our veins by the mainstream. Which is oddly the opposite of what, I mean, I don't know, I don't know what the official doctrine on homosexuality is but when i was growing up there was a big push by the uh gay community to say like hey homosexuality is not a choice this is is how we feel right but now we're we've kind of like 180 like so if heterosexuality is a choice i guess that means being gay is a choice did you just undo decades of of progress by the gay movement (laughs) like what just happened and well, because that's how radical their beliefs are. And that is also, it shows that they just have no principles. Just everything is situational into whatever suits them at that moment. Yeah. The other thing I've seen, I don't know if you've seen this, Mikey, but I've seen people get a bit, uh, accused of being transphobic or sexist if they won't, if they're not attracted to people, like if they're not pansexual, basically. If like, if you won't have, if you're not attracted to a trans woman, then then you're transphobic, right? You have to be, if you're a guy and you're heterosexual and you like women, you have to like trans women. And if you don't like trans women, that makes you a bad person. It's, I See, swear to God, it's only a matter of time until they say that gay men are just sexist. They just hate women. Oh yeah, that's oh, I'm sure. starting to bump up against. So that's why you see um, like like the, uh, the trans activist SJWs are now opposing the radical feminist SJWs you know, like there's this, this yeah. butting of heads and then the same thing is happening with trans activists and gay because gay people, a lesbian doesn't want to be told that she needs to have sex with a man. Of course. <laughs> of course. Oh God, yeah. and I just thought, so there's this uh, Supreme Court case happening and there was apparently some big demonstration in front of the Supreme Court yesterday. So I was reading the updates on it on Twitter and there was somebody posting about how there were like women there trying to advocate for women and <laughs> protesting in front of the Supreme Court I shit you not, according to her, was the gay men's choir singing, We Shall Overcome. (laughs) (laughs) The fuck are you overcoming? That's just the delusion of these people. I I was talking with someone online today and yesterday a little bit, but about these... um, these fake concepts to go back to the fake concepts and the stuff that you studied in school, Gracie, and that, and that I studied in women's studies. 
they they come up with these magic words right and then they accept them as fact as if it's like gravity yeah. like you know toxic masculinity you know white fragility they just got all these things and they um when i was talking about with this person it occurred to me they they are invested in those things being real does that make sense like they want those things to be real they want white oh, yeah. to be a thing and and you it's possible to manifest something um, by focusing on it so much you're creating it because you're you're going out into the world and you're preaching and you're saying this is a reality yeah. masculinity is toxic it's like, well it, it's amazing how many of the people who are really worried about racism say white supremacy all the time it's a little bit strange you know if you listen to them you're kind of like you're almost you're almost trying to push that out there into the world. I mean, you're the only people talking about this and you're kind of making it a thing. You know, it's, it's, Oh creepy. yeah, they are. I, I, I mean, I do think I do. I don't know if there is a rise of white nationalism or if that's just CNN, but mm. I do think they'll create one if they haven't started already. Like the, the, if you, if you imagine yourself as kind of a, you know, midwit or low IQ, there's a lot, you know, look, half, half of the people are less than average, right? So if you're kind of like a, a low IQ white person and you're presented with a choice, like if you're, you're basically told, well, we're dividing society based on color. Uh, these people over here say that your color is horrible. And these people over sit here, here, they say your color is awesome. Which do you want to join? They're going to be like, I guess I'll go with my color is awesome. Like, you know, there's, there's not, they're not thinking about like, hey, wait a minute, why are we dividing society? Isn't that the opposite of what we used to do? Like, they're just going to pick a side and they're going to create the problem that they claim exists now. They want it to exist because that makes their life meaningful. This whole narrative makes their life meaningful. And they, what would they do if they didn't have this to fight? Spot on. Like they, yeah. they want the, to create this. We've been, um, since I first started waking up to some of this stuff and leaving the cult, it, be, it, it became apparent to me that the alt left, which is what SJW left, regressive left, whatever you want to call it. The, this, it's this identity politics based Marxism, identitarian leftism, whatever that left, that part of the left needs the alt-right. They want white nationalism because exactly like you said, Gracie, it gives them meaning. For them, this is like, um, it is like a religion like we talked about before, like a, it, like a cult and it gives their life purpose. And so they bring that into being. Just like war galvanizes a nation and lets people accept things that they wouldn't normally accept if there's a big bad enemy they got to fight. Similarly, if there's a big bad enemy of rising white nationalism, people put aside a lot of discomfort and accept things they wouldn't in the name of fighting that enemy. It's it's just it's like it's just creating an enemy, just like every every cult needs, and you know every every religion likes to have a or not every religion, but most most religions and movements like to have. A big bad enemy that they that people will then give up freedoms and give up thought for basically so they can join the tribe because after all it's a big existential threat and like we don't have time to talk about anything else we got to fight the big enemy right well, that's why if you look on twitter for example there are so many reasonable mainstream uh non-leftist figures who have been totally banned but if you look at who is not banned from twitter david duke Richard Spencer, people who are actually the things they hate, they can say whatever they want because they want that there. They want you to think, oh, you have to give us power and go with us or there will be Nazis at your front door. That's and a I great point. That's a really good point. Well, and I think you really see too, 
just how much the media is trying to create things. Like, look, for example, this whole insanity with the Joker movie of the media going on and on about, oh, someone's going to shoot up the Joker movie. Someone's going to shoot up the Joker movie. Ooh, don't shoot up the Joker movie. Wouldn't it be awful if you shot up the Joker movie? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. It, and they're, and they're like planning to see. disappointed that that hasn't happened. It's sick. Yeah, they want they, they want it to happen. They want to bring it into fruition. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, by the way, side note, you know what I just learned yesterday that I think is hilarious with all of this stuff about the Joker movie with, ooh, what, a white male, a white male. Joaquin Phoenix is Puerto Rican. Right. <laughs> Not even a white male. I wanted yep. to read something from the comments real quick. Elva Caro says, White fragility is a thing. It is evidenced by the leftists who are fragile. <laughs> They're projecting when they tell you that you're fragile. And that was kind of funny. Um, oh, yeah. You mean the, the white leftists are the fragile ones? Yeah. Right. That's what it means. Yeah. But, they, but it is true. They project and they often say a lot of the things they say about you. It's because that's what they are. And, and they assume that you're like that. It's weird. Um, I, I wanted to ask you guys some questions or just I mean, not to get too... Um, regimented but formal. i was just curious too formal because it's been because it has been a year since the walk away march like um what would you say is uh i mean I'm, i just want to know like what things have happened that we can celebrate with you like what are you grateful for in this past year like what are some great things that have happened as a result of leaving are, are there ahead, great things um, <laughs> there have been a lot of great things um you know i feel like it's easy to focus on the negative and i do feel like I've paid a price for it. I feel like I've lost every single friend I've ever had in my life prior to this. Um, you know, when I first started walking away from the left, uh, maybe like two, three years ago, I lost maybe half my friends. And now since and now that I've been more visibly outspoken about it, it's like the other half is gone. But, you know, so, but the thing is, uh, you make real friends who actually have your back and actually care about you and are real friends. Um, so anyway, though, since then, um, I've started speaking on panels with uh, Walk Away. We've been doing like the LGBT town hall. Uh, we did LA, Chicago, New York. Next is UC Berkeley, which I'm really excited about. Um, when is that, Mikey? Uh, I'm not sure. I think like late next week. Oh my God, wait, you're like near there, right? Yeah, tell me, oh, I'll okay. go. Yes, yeah. I'm not sure. Ooh, I should have said it. I don't know if it's like totally official yet, but I'm waiting to find out. Yeah, tell me. Um, but yeah, I'm really excited about that. Um, so yeah, it's been really cool. I started a YouTube channel. It's just kind of like a, trying to grow it and shit. Um, but mainly, I think the the most important thing I've learned over the past year is that because, like I said, I've always been an artist. I'm a writer and stuff. Um, and so what I'm focusing on now is I'm starting a production company and platform. That's basically like indie Netflix or inappropriate Netflix or whatever you want to call it. <laughs> uh, because I really think that that's the only way for anyone to create something that's subversive and doesn't just, uh, you know, march in lockstep with this. Because I don't know, at least just me personally, I'm sick of watching the same shit made by the same people pushing the same agenda. Um, so this is going to be a platform for series, films, documentaries, all sorts of different stuff. Um because I feel like nobody's really done that yet in terms of the entertainment we watch. So that's something I'm working on. Um, and I feel like it would sort of take the power away from the media because nobody can cancel you on here. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, and there's precedent for having like, uh, who was it? Was it Felicia Day years ago did like the first kind of web series that was like actually competed against traditional yeah. television series. And so there's, you can totally 
you can totally do that now. Um, so, and I have noticed, I, I tried to watch, um, I, I know this is a, uh, probably no one watched this because the stupid advertisements on Amazon prime for Jack uh, Ryan series, like Tom, Tom Clancy wrote like the Patriot games and hunt for red October and those clear and present danger. And it was about the character, Jack Ryan. And I kind of liked those movies back in the nineties or eighties or whenever they were. So we tried to watch it and um, it's weird to see how they've intentionally tried to, they're like ten, intentionally have modified things so that, uh, the social justice left will approve. So like his boss, instead of being Admiral Greer, he's just some guy, I don't know, he's not an admiral, but uh, he's a Muslim. And they're like, he's like a, he's a Muslim dude and he gets upset that other people, uh, um, you know, say that he's in France at one point and, the, and they're dealing with Muslim terrorism and the French cop makes some comment about too many Muslim immigrants and the guy gets like pissed off, like, you know, Islam is great and blah, blah, blah. He ah. has It's like, there's, it's like, you know what it makes it's me an intentional guys, pandering, guys, right? Okay, did you guys ever see when soap operas started, soap operas were losing a lot of money, right? And so they started putting the commercials in the soap opera. So like on Days of Our Lives, the, 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 the two characters would be in the kitchen talking and then like one of the characters, like Jack would come out and be like, hi, have you eaten your Cheerios today, Rebecca? And would like start talking about Cheerios in the middle of the Cheerios. dialogue. And, and all the soap opera fans were revolting because they were like, we don't want to watch the characters talk about Cheerios. And it would seriously, it would happen two or three times per episode so this <laughs> makes me think of that because it's like they're just inserting sgwism where the characters are suddenly like hi have you thought about islamophobia <laughs> yeah <laughs> like, it's kind of like that right <laughs> i was just watching this show on netflix the politician and it's like they'll have little moments where they suddenly out of nowhere start talking about like the white cisgender patriarchy and it's, <laughs> it's out of the show. It's like, it feels like there's just somebody standing behind you tapping on your shoulder. Oh, you guys. Whispering into your ear. Yes, children's cartoons are the worst. They are seriously oh. preaching at your child, at my children. I don't know how, how many people here have kids, but they I preach this oh yeah so they preach at the kids okay and i've started to pause the show and explain like why did those girls just yell at that boy for offering to lift things and they're like well because he was because he was asking because he was a boy and i said really well let look at her arms they're super skinny and look at his they're very big which one makes more sense to lift stuff and they're like oh the boy and i'm like yeah so maybe he just thought he would be helpful and so i have to like pause the show and explain that they're being preached to <laughs> <laughs> wait, wait, Gracie, Gracie, what show is that? What show is what shows are you are your kids watching that are like that? Because I, I don't my daughter doesn't watch a lot of TV, but I'm curious. Uh I, okay, let's see. What are they called? They're like Maddie. They're I want to say they were on Netflix, Maddie something, and then okay. there's like bunked. It's it's these like tweens and and high school kids that are you know, doing life and it's super SJW stuff. Like there's a family of kids that each one of them are different races and they're all adopted. And like, it's super awkward because you're like, that's just really rare. And I feel like you're artificially manufacturing this situation, you know, but well, at least they were adopted and it wasn't mom just being you know. a whore oh uh, yeah <laughs> <laughs> but so I, you're, you're reminding me sorry go I'm ahead sorry, Mike. Just, it's really scary when you see that this shit is happening literally in kindergarten but my friend sean uh has a youtube channel called actual justice warrior and he does a whole series about charlie get out of my way <laughs> a whole series about uh 
kindergarten through 12th grade indoctrination. And it's horrifying the things that they come up with that they're teaching these kids. Get your ass down. <laughs> oh, Mikey, Mikey, it's not just what they're teaching the kids explicitly, but it's what they're they're teaching them that is, okay, let me give you an example. If you read through this kid's curriculum at school, they teach the children the stereotypical, like the old stereotypes, and then they try to rebut them. And it's like, you guys are the ones that are teaching kids that Asian women can't drive. You guys are the ones that are teaching kids that black people are lazy because here's what they do. They, they take these old tropes that people used to have in society and they don't anymore. And they're keeping them alive by doing this. <clears throat> here's the kid's curriculum. It'll say, Sally went to school and found that Joey said, your mom can't drive because she's Asian. What should Sally do? And you're like, seriously, you're teaching <laughs> these children, these things that their parents aren't telling them like, Here's some racist insults that you can throw at your friends, by the way. Yeah, Yeah, they're acting like this is happening to all these kids and they're trying to they're just trying to help the kids figure out how to handle it. You're like, no, you're actually teaching them these things. Well, and like their list of problematic words. Carter and I did a whole episode on um, they, they do these articles where they're like, here are, you know, 15 phrases that you didn't know were racist. And then they take (laughs) these phrases that don't that have been separated from whatever original meaning they had. And nobody knows them. Like, like uh, one of them is a long time no see right there. And then they tell you, this is why this is racist. And it's like, wow, you're inserting this knowledge that nobody has anymore. You're keep, you're trying to keep that phrase racist. Right. That's what you're doing. You know, it's funny. I actually, um, a couple years ago when I was still kind of surrounded by all the social justice warriors, got into a massive fight with someone at a party because I said, Hey, what's popping? And they said that that phrase, what's popping, comes from slaves, that the slave masters would pop their slaves. What? And so if you said that, <laughs> One of my favorites was, was Carrie, I don't remember what it was we were watching, but it was a uh, training for either teachers or corporate executives or something. And it was like, uh, expecting people to show up on time is racist because black people can't do that. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it was like, uh, whoa, whoa, wait a minute. What it's, is <laughs> yeah. it's what they're teaching in New York public schools? That's what it was from. Oh. Is that what it was? That, okay, yeah, they had the whole um, uh, it, it was that New York superintendent guy. We went through, well, you went through the source material of where he developed his racial justice stuff that's for, right. New, for New York schools, and that's what they're teaching kids, just like you said, Gracie. Like, black people can't show up on time. Uh, black people can't be expected to, um, you know, hit, hit the same sta- like standards. It was just this whole like, or you know, with English, can't be expected to speak English correctly. It's like that is so racist. Why would you? Yeah. Why would you teach people that? <laughs> it's pretty bad. It's pretty bad. I, um, I just have to laugh because this is the kind of humor that's not allowed anymore. But uh, our friend Greg, who three three <laughs> creators, who by the way, Gracie and Chat. He said yeah. he had some very lovely things to say about you earlier. And he also Aww. mentioned that your book is out. Um, but anyway, Aww. he just made a joke. He said, it's not, he said, it's not about, has nothing to do with race. Women of all races can't drive. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. I also like blonde jokes. So go ahead and throw those out there. <laughs> <laughs> blonde jokes are great. By the way, uh, my wife who is Asian, my wife who is Asian has been in the U.S. long enough now that like, she's she'll say racist things about when there's someone like making a mistake driving she'll be like are they asian uh, <laughs> and i'm like you can't say that i mean i guess you could say that but 
can't. No, but say that's that. the thing. When you are actually comfortable with somebody, when you are friends with somebody, you are able to joke around. And these leftists want us to not be friends with other races. Want there to always be that separation and that barrier. Absolutely. Give each other shit. Yeah, and they they need it because just to get back to kind of circle back to what Gracie talked about earlier. Um, in critical theory and the philosophy and their sort of political agenda, it is all about destruction. And so um, they need, you need tribal infighting. If everyone's getting along, uh, you, it's, it's hard to convince them that we need a Marxist revolution. But if everyone's shooting everyone, each other and hating each other and vying for power, well, a revolution kind of seems like the only, only solution. Or maybe they would say final solution. Well, it's the only way to get socialism is to destroy a country with capitalism. Because if you've got, like you said on our last podcast, if you've got fat and happy people, they're not going to war. So you have, right. to, create, you have to make them very discontent. You have to put them at odds with each other and create a problem. Yep. Yeah, yeah absolutely. Well, and I always say, I always feel like with all of this stuff, this type of leftism that's been pushed on us the last five years or so, what is the net benefit? What has, what is better? Where are we better off? Where are things good because of it? Cause I only see destruction everywhere. You know, I look at when I was a kid in the nineties and two thousands and it wasn't like this blacks and whites magically just got along and you didn't hear about all this shit all the time. Yep. And, 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 you know, me too. And, and uh, we've talked about this, like there, there might I don't want to say there wasn't any racism there. I'm sure there was racism. There was racism, but the it, the direction we were moving was the correct. It yes. was there was less and less racism happening, and um, and that was kind of the clear direction. And we were getting along, as you're saying, Mikey. Like I grew up more in the '80s, and like I, I watched the '80s and '90s. Like there was some racism in the '80s, still moving in the right direction. Less in the '90s, still moving in the right direction. Now we've regressed. We've gone backwards. Yeah. And that's the thing. If everything is immeasurably worse off, not just relations between blacks and whites, but men and women, every category, then why should we listen to them? Why should, what credibility do they have to tell us that they have all the answers when everything is immeasurably worse because of them? Mm-hmm. Right. Well, the, yeah. go ahead. Well, they're possessed by an idea. Unfortunately, the idea of feminism has changed. So every every person needs a story to put themselves inside. Everyone needs a narrative and every narrative has a conflict. Well, with feminism, what do you do when the climax of your conflict can be seen in the rear view mirror? So you kind of have to create a new conflict so that they've changed their goal, which was equality, because the climax of that problem is in the rear view mirror. So they right. have a have to come up with a new goal and the, the goal is actually the opposite of equality, it's equity. So the, the equity goal, man, there's all kinds of work to do to make things unequal. So they're going about that. And that's why there's so much conflict and strife is because they're trying to tilt the balance of justice into one particular direction with this assumed belief that it's already tilted in a different one. It's a denial of the fact that progress has been made because you have to keep the conflict of your main narrative alive. Otherwise you have no meaning. That's why I've stepped out of feminism. That's why I've dropped the label entirely because the goal has changed to become the very opposite of what it used to be. It's the exact same thing too with uh, gay rights and shit and all the gay stuff is that we have equality. We won. Yay. Good news. Go home. But no, right. they <laughs> They can't take yes for an answer. 
So now it has to be about all of these other ridiculous things. Like we have equality. There are no rights that you have that I don't have. Right. Well, as Carrie's pointed out. I was, just, I was just watching. They had the Democrats had this ridiculous LGBT forum. Oh, yeah. Yeah. And one of the people hosting it literally came out and said, uh, equality is not enough. Equal rights is not enough. We need special rights. Oh, like, oh, oh they said that openly admitting that now. Because I was told it's hate speech when I said that that's what they want. <laughs> At least there's honesty there. Right. Yeah. So that's exemplifying the fact that the goal has shifted from equality to unequal, which is equity. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And they don't, a lot of the people who are, who are preaching this stuff, like the new, the baby, the baby SJWs, like the new ones, right? And, and a lot of the ones online I consider newbie, newbie baby SJWs, they don't, actually know that we talked about this before they don't know anything about marxism they don't realize this ideology is marxist because they don't know anything about history and they don't know what equity means versus equality they they don't they don't have the basic knowledge uh the basic tools that would that would allow them to see this for what it is and i think a part of that i mean part of that for me anyway i mean i didn't learn about communism in in school and I went to some good schools. We just didn't, our history classes didn't focus on it. We didn't oh, focus I on- Oh, glorified it. There was literally communism club in my school, public high school. Right. Wow. That's why I'm saying that the groundwork philosophically was laid a long time ago where you've got people in positions of power who are older now that didn't, they don't know any of this. They didn't learn, they didn't learn anything that would intellectually arm them to- push back against the the new generation of kids that comes along and just implements the same philosophy, but more consistently, because that's all they're doing. And, you know, I know we're talking a lot about, you know, they, they don't know this, they don't know that. But when we say that, we're really talking about the, what Stalin would have called the useful, the useful idiots, right? These aren't the, these aren't the leaders. I believe the leaders know exactly what they're doing. I believe yes. that the, the, the leaders of these um, movements, the people who are actually teaching critical theory, they know damn well, what their goal is. Um, and they are, they are Mar- many of them say they're Marxists. They understand what Marxism is. They know the history of critical theory and they want a Marxist revolution and they don't care. It's hard for, it's hard for good people to understand the level of depravity that it takes to have the mindset that uh, you're so resentful of people that you perceive as doing better, that you'd rather be in a grave together and equal than have the the quote inequality that you perceive now but that's the mindset right the the marxist mindset is if i have to tear everyone down just so that we're equal and we all wait in the same bread line that's better for me that's their that's their mindset mm-hmm. actually i you know uh lately i've been reading a lot about cults and what i think is interesting is if you look at any cult the initial message that they reel you in that they get you through the door with is always inherently good so, for example, Scientology is about initially about self-help and improving yourself. And the Nexium cult was about being a better business person. And when you look at the Jonestown cult, what I think is really interesting is guess what they were all about? Racial equality. Until you're oh, committing mass suicide and drinking the Kool-Aid. Well, they ended up equal. Yes, they were they all equally dead. Equal. <laughs> they were all equally dead. <laughs> <laughs> so, I mean, that's that. I'm, I will. I do want to give communism credit. Communism does achieve equality in the end because you're skeletons. Um, so, okay. so we say you're all you're all equal in the rubble. 
<laughs> you're all equal in the rubble. Yeah, the killing fields of Cambodia. You know, they all look look the same. <sighs> it's, it's crazy. Um, just to like uh, go back to what we were saying about the racial narrative. I was actually just this week looking at. I don't know if you guys saw this in the news, but um, Tyler Perry opened this massive studio. He's like the first black head of a studio. So he opened up his own studio, which is like an entire town. Um, and you, where you could literally fit like every other film studio in this. Um, so I was reading about his background and he grew up poverty stricken, molested, abused, homeless, impoverished, and is now a billionaire who runs his own studio. But meanwhile, they keep telling black America, everyone hates you. You can't do anything. You can't succeed. There's a target on your back. Everyone's out to get you. And I feel like if somebody like him can do that, then there's no reason that the rest of us can. And it just disproves this narrative of failure that they are trying to ingrain in every minority in this country. Yeah, Yeah. like the women's studies degree I got, they left me careerless because I got a women's studies degree. It literally literally sets you up for failure and a a mindset of failure. So, So Carrie and Gracie, maybe since you guys have the formal social justice training, more uh what's their response to something like an example like mikey said which is hey what about all the successful people of color that have pulled themselves out from the ghetto they they uh they criticize this is it i i heard it most often when people would offer oprah winfrey as an example right someone else who clawed her way up and made something amazing of herself if you give an example like Oprah or um, uh, Tom Perry, Perry or Obama, they're going to say you're cherry picking and you're picking the people who are not the norm. It's like, yeah, they're not the norm. They are, they, they've, it's a meritocracy. They've risen to the top of it. It's a hierarchy that they are dominating. And the, the point is that it's possible. Right. The, <laughs> you the norm dominate. is the guy. Yeah. The norm is the black family in the suburbs with 2.5 kids in a white picket fence. They're the norm. Like, yeah, well, they achieved the, the norm. They actually um, say that they, before you'll even say that sometimes they'll say, and don't tell me about that one person who made it because that's a red herring or whatever. You know, they, they, they put it out there before you can do it. Kind of like um, they like like if you are the logical type, they'll put it out there real quick that by the way, logic is from the enemy. So, you know, the white man is the logical people. So um, you can't be logical. So don't be logical in our conversation. So that's, yeah, that's one of my to, favorite they try ones. To head things, they try to Go head ahead. things off the pass and they have, the ideology has built in all of these rules that um, will prevent them from in, engaging with you and prevent them from listening to what you're saying and considering it. And so the ideology, think of it, it's like a cage that they, that they live inside of. And they have all these different walls that they put up. So one of these walls, it's a preemptive wall. If any of you ever are arguing with an SGW and you bring up, they'll, they'll say this, if you bring up Martin Luther King Jr. and you point out that he was talking about judging people on the basis of character and not on the basis of their race, and isn't that the ideal? And wasn't that a time in history where, like we were talking about before, where we were moving, things were moving in the right direction. We were, we were progressing, right? But if you bring that up, they, and I, this happens every time it happened to me two days ago, they'll say, keep his name out of your mouth. You know, you <laughs> nice. don't get to mention Martin Luther King. You well, filthy not? white. Because, 
And, and it's not really about preventing me from say, I'll say what I like and I will mention any thinker I respect. And you know, you don't have a right to his words to, to hoard them, his words, but, but the, but the reason they don't want you to say it is, is, is not, is not so much about, um, it is about controlling what, what you can say and think, but, but it's even more about controlling them. They think about that. It's built into their brain to say, I don't want to hear Martin Luther King Jr.'s words. That's what they're saying. Yeah, but they're I don't also want to hear but, those words. But they're also trying to control his legacy. They're trying mm-hmm. to be the deciders of history and what his legacy meant and what he meant when he said. And so they want to be able to cherry pick the parts of what he said that which there's very few, but they pick some of these statements that he said that look like they might support Marxism or communism and and they take those and they want to hold on to him. The problem is the vast majority of the things he said are liberty-loving, Judeo-Christian, liberal in the classic sense. And so it's very difficult. I think they don't want to hear a lot about what he said. I think you're right, Carrie, but I also think they want to protect how people perceive his legacy and they don't want you to say those things because you're portraying him in his own words. Yeah. Well, the one thing that you, you mentioned, Gracie, that I, I just want to pause on for a moment, because I've heard this before. Logic is the, the tool of the white man or whatever. You, you can't uh. use logic. I mean, that's one of the most racist things I can imagine because uh, like the, the, the rational mind, the reasoning mind is the primary means of survival for humans. And so if you say logic is a white man's invention, you're basically saying people of color can't survive as humans on their own. They don't have the primary mechanism for survival in the world, which is a reasoning mind that can grasp logic. Yeah. Uh, that there's, well, there's almost nothing more racist than that. Well, well that's by, the thing is that, oh, I'm sorry. <laughs> well, I was going to say by our standards, because we understand logic in the Western world to be a value. But here's the thing when, like Mikey was saying earlier, the, they only destroy and that's their goal. It's not that they have a goal or a vision or a utopia necessarily, feminists, especially this intersectional feminism. What they want is to not value what you in particular, Carter and Mikey, especially Carter, because he's straight, what you value. And because you're, you and your society values things like logic and objectivity, then therefore they don't want to value those things. And they're trying to create a society that doesn't because that is the goal. Well, and that society is starving naked in the woods, dying. I mean, that's what that society is. So that is destruction, right? Well, that's the thing is it is this very strange leftist sort of white supremacy that they genuinely do see themselves as superior and they see black people as beneath them and they can put a very happy face on it and say oh it's because it's out of concern and all this shit but it doesn't change the facts that they think that they are superior they are privileged they are advantaged and they will remind black people at every possible moment that they are subservient that they are beneath them that they are disadvantaged disempowered uh, yet we're somehow the assholes for being against that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And that's what, and I was, I don't know about you guys, but I think the, m- one of the most important things that I've learned with myself uh, from leaving the left is I find the more, the, the new ideology I have now, I think is so much more empowering to know that my life is in my hands. And if something is wrong in my life, it's not other people, it's not straight people's fault. It's not white people. It's my fault. I need to make changes. I need to do things differently and work harder and be better. Yes. And I find that so empowering to know. Yes. The same thing for uh, women. I don't know if you guys can still see me. No, but we can hear you. 
Okay. Yeah. I'm having a problem with my phone. There you are. Um, am I back? Okay. Yeah. Um, but the same thing with women. I mean, I've talked about this before on the show when I was in SJW uh, and I, and I know a lot of SJWs who are like this. Um, I had a lot of self-esteem issues and, and a lot of that had to do with me believing all this crap about the world is set against me specifically because I'm a woman and you know, it's got, it, 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 the world is out for me. Look, the world is out for, is it Jordan Peterson who talks about like mother nature is trying to kill you? Like <laughs> the world is hard <laughs> for everyone. And it's not, um, it's not this stacked deck specifically for you, the way that they teach you it is. And so when I, you know, left this cult behind, this cult of belief, um, a lot of things happened. One, I started reading again. Yeah. It, they don't encourage you to read. They, they only, you, the only things that are acceptable for you to read are the books like White Fragility by Robin DeAngelo, all the, all the ones that's like, it's like part of their, it's like their Bible. And those books are awful and they're boring and they're, it's, it's like, it's not in, just like the same way they don't engage in thought. They just repeat the mantras and they repeat the tenets. Those books are like that. When I read those books, I used to read some of those books and it just felt, it, it's like you're reading something dead. I don't know. I don't know how to explain it when it's I read now yeah. you know the books were done for book club and stuff it's like it reminds me of when I was a kid and I used to love reading so that's happened um but the other thing is that my self-esteem is is so much better because of course like I'm just speaking for myself now I'm not speaking on behalf of women <laughs> or on behalf of an ideology or on behalf of marginalized people or whatever I'm just speaking for myself and I'm trying to I'm trying to find and speak what I believe to be true and I'm also recognizing, like you said, Mikey, it's like taking personal responsibility for your life. That is, that is something that you actually can affect. They convince us to get you to go out into the world and to focus on the exterior, you know, change everyone else and change the world and, and all this. And, and they completely ignore personal responsibility over your own life. And they tell you, you can't, you can't do things. Yeah. Like you can't, because it's not, it's not because you're personally unable but even if you tried, you can't. And so that's the most discouraging message you could ever receive. It's like, yeah. don't even try because it's like, yeah, it's very discouraging. And I mean, what kind of mentality is that instilling in people, especially young people? Everyone hates you. Everyone's out to get you. The world is against you. I mean, if that isn't going to give you a chip on your shoulder, I don't know what will. Yeah. I think to answer your original question, I think I have a list, uh, I have a long list of things that have improved since I've left the cult. And uh, I think that the, mostly I'm grateful that I got out before my kids were in the most impressionable ages. I have a boy and a girl, they are 10 and 11. And I, for the past year or two now, especially a year, you know, since I've really come out and understood what happened. I've been every night at dinner, we sit down and I, and I bring up a new topic. I'm like, let's talk about individualism versus collectivism. Let's talk about what people say about trans rights. I mean, let's talk about all of it. You know, let's talk about what I value, what, what I, and we also, we talk about, we tell them things like this. Look, you probably are going to pick our ideas by default right now at this age. And someday you are going to come up with your own beliefs and uh, that is appropriate. You should, and it won't necessarily look exactly like ours, but we are trying to teach you how to think, not what to think. 
And we do want you to know what we think. And so we've had these really important conversations and I, and I've told him, look, I'm choosing not to take you out of these environments that are indoctrinating you like public school. I'm choosing not to make you, you know, not watch any media, but I, but that's why I pause at dinner and we talk about these things. That's why I pause your show. And we talk about these things because I'm not going to isolate you from them. You, they're all around you, but I want you to understand what's happening. I want you to understand what we value. And I want you to understand why we disagree. And someday you get to decide what you think, but just know, because my son the other day goes, don't worry, mom, I'll never be a feminist. And I said, <laughs> and it made me really happy, but I still said, <laughs> you know, honey, even if you are, I, I know that it would be coming from a good place, but you should know, you should expect me to be able to challenge you. And you should, I expect you to have good arguments that you have skillfully thought through and not just follow the crowd. So we are creating these children that are thinkers and I, that is my number one positive that has come out of this, but also. Oh my God, will you adopt me? <laughs> yeah, I love being a mom. That's the highest calling. <laughs> well, also political. Okay, politics. Like I didn't know anything about politics, you guys. I'm an ignorant follower. And so I was just Democrat by default. Well, now I actually have to learn and pay attention and understand. And that's, man, that's a net gain. Um, and then just art my artistic ability it sounded like i said autistic <laughs> that too my artistic ability has kind of come to the forefront in the loss that it has i've experienced so you know i've had these internal conversations you know this side says this this side says that what would they say to each other if they were actually in communication and they weren't just calling each other names so i've had those conversations in my head and a book developed out of this and it's just a fiction novel that i would call a sort of a red pill novel, but bigger than that, it's just, I put all of my brain and, and heart into it and it's just been a good experience. So yeah, and then satire too. I like doing my satire pieces, like my far left alter ego. She recently did a video <laughs> and guess what, you guys, did you know that trans people are the new patriarchy because AI are virtual slaves? <laughs> nice yeah ai you know siri and alexa they're slaves that they trumps are. everything they are i have a question for you about your kids gracie if you don't if you don't mind um because i um i was never a social justice warrior so from day one uh it's been about negotiation and reason with my daughter and unfortunately i i agree with you there may be a time when she uh <laughs> disagrees becomes a social justice warrior or whatever and and that'll you know we'll deal with that but um did your kids see your philosophy change and how did they react were you preaching social justice to them and then one day mom came home and was like yeah forget all that oops oh absolutely totally absolutely i mean it wasn't just one day all overnight it was like i mean when my son was born he had a baby doll he loved this baby doll. He slept with the baby doll every night. And I still don't think that's a horrible thing. Like I was trying to live out this SJW reality of like, people are just social constructions. And if I want to make a boy who is caring, I will force it by creating a, you know, a maternal Girl. instinct in him. So I was doing this kind of social engineering because that's what I was told is that everything is socially constructed. Therefore go create the utopia. So 
yeah, I was doing those things. We went to the social justice church where everything is PC and the whole message was kindness. Mm -hmm. And we, when we, we kind of left there before we read pilled because we started recognizing that this wasn't really a Christian message or something. And one thing that's really striking, it'll be a good example of how things changed. I read through my, <laughs> okay, this is embarrassing. You should do this. You too, Mikey and Carrie, you've probably done it. Read through your posts on social media, oh. November, 2016. Uh, I was so embarrassed. I deleted one of them. Okay. <laughs> you guys, mine are just awful. But one of the things I said was that my children had expressed fear that their best friends were going to be sent back to Mexico and they're just Mexican American. <laughs> my children actually thought that their kid, their friends could be sent out of the country. Okay. This is, this is how I was relating to them and looking back on it. I'm like, Oh dear God, I, they've seen this change. And I've told them like, you guys remember how when Donald Trump was elected and we told you the sky was falling and everything it's not. And so we've had these conversations over time. Yeah. That's crazy. I sort of like during the election had like one foot out and one foot. Like I hated Trump at the time, but I was still, that was sort of when I was, cause it's a process of, of realizing all of this shit and everything that would happen during the election. And I would be like, wait, this isn't true. Wait, why this? And ask questions and people would get so furious. I remember during one of the debates, I think it was the second or third debate I had said something. And I, like I said, I hated Trump at the time, but I wrote on Facebook. I was like, just, objectively speaking i feel like he's winning the debate and oh my god i got called every name imaginable <laughs> can't even make objective uh, observations mm -mm. it's just all about submitting and complying and denying reality and yeah there's something interesting can you guys hear me i had to switch to my laptop yes yeah. okay sounds a little bit weird but we can hear you okay so um i'm having to use the, the laptop microphone because my anyway um, so what you're saying about your kid and, and by the way, that is, I think it is so beautiful how you're raising your children, Gracie. Yes. I just mm -hmm. really admire you. And I, but, but to go back to the way, um, the fear that you're talking about that maybe because of your beliefs that maybe your, your kids, when you were an SJW believed that their friends are going to be deported or whatever. I, I see a lot of SJWs post on social media, stuff that their kids say, I mean, it's almost a trope at this point where they're like. Yesterday, my four-year-old said, you know, why does Trump blah, 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 blah. It's like, why is Trump pulling out of Syria? The Kurds yeah. need our support. <laughs> <laughs> is that what your four-year-old said? <laughs> yeah. Really. And, the, and, and then everyone applauded. <laughs> yeah. And they, they post this stuff as if it's evidence of some great truth because it's a young child saying it. And to me, it's like, yes, you should be concerned that your young child is picking that stuff up from you. They're picking it up from you. They're not just, your four-year-old's not coming home and saying they're concerned about Syria. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And one thing, one measure that I feel like I, I measure how I'm doing with them by, am I indoctrinating them in this other way? And I don't think I am because like once in a while, my son will make fun of Trump and he'd be like, exactly. You know, he'll do it. He'll do the motions and the hand gestures. And it's, I mean, he doesn't think he's a bad person, but he's not like Trump is my fearless leader. You know what I mean? Yes. So he's, I think they're able to really even just start thinking for themselves a little, you know, they're still 11 and well, he'll be 12 soon, but 
it's it's so fun but even too. from a but from a young age they can i don't know if you saw this crazy but young kids can negotiate and reason and argue and, and like if that's the parenting style you have if you're not an authoritarian parent who's like we're doing this because i said so kids learn to negotiate and reason and make arguments and i, I you know that can carry over into politics as well right um but rather than picking a side i feel like most people pick a side right there's like where this house is a trump house this house is an anti-trump house it's like well, yeah this so, house thinks Right, because my son has, has actually asked us, um, is Trump good or bad? Because there's this obvious line in the sand and they hear it at school and it's like, which side are we on? He's literally asked us, which side are we on with whatever it is that's out there, you know? Right. And, you know, Matt's like, well, I don't want to be like, we're on this side because, but at the same time, there is a huge divide. And so we talked to him about that. We're like, yes, there is a huge divide. You almost have to pick sides sometimes, but you should know. We're on the side of, you know, and then we don't list people or issues. We're like, we're on the side of, here's our value. Wherever right. that is found, this is what side we're on. And I think that's why liberals have started to leave the Democratic Party because the left is stopping liberal. Yes, yeah. the left is stopping liberal. And I have some leftist friends who don't get that yet. What They don't understand what I'm saying because a lot of SGWs, they, they're convinced that they're liberals. And again, they don't understand the meaning of, of a lot of words they don't understand what equity is as opposed to equality they don't they haven't really sat down and looked at the word liberal and thought about what liberalism is and then compared that with what they're what they actually have been preaching and believing and um so i i uh uh i don't know i think i think <laughs> i think their walk away has been so big for a number of reasons one of those is yes because the left is no longer liberal another one though is because of unrelated to the SGW stuff is because of how crazy the left went, how crazy our side went after Trump was elected. And just, I have friends who are part of walk away who I have one in LA who her waking up moment was seeing the rioting happening and the violence happening on the streets. And it's like, this is what we were told was going to happen if Clinton won by Trump supporters. And, and by the way, I don't think that ever would have happened. That was a lie. It's projection. Again, if Clinton had won, I don't think we would have seen right-wingers in the streets. Like, but, but, um, but I want to make one more point about what you're saying about Trump and your kids and picking sides. Adult, I, I noticed it's amazing to me that adults do this all the time, like online. There's, they'll ask you. There's a woman who runs this, um, who runs this group that I'm a part of um, who, who I butt heads with a lot because she fancies herself uh, an advocate of civility, but she only fancies herself an advocate of civility towards her end goal, which is to convince all Trump supporters that they're wrong and evil or whatever, you know, that's her end. She has it. She has something there that, um, it, civility is not her end goal, right? It's, it's like pushing her belief. And so, um, she said to me the other day in a conversation, like, she was like, yeah, she's like, are you a Trump supporter? And I'm like, what does that even mean? I don't even, what does that mean to you? Trump supporter? I didn't vote for him. Do he's I not, he's not, I don't list him yeah. as dependent on my tax return. So no. <laughs> <laughs> like, do I hope that he fails? No, because he's the president and I don't want the president <laughs> to fail. Um, do, will I vote for him again? Or again, not again. See, she thinks I voted for him. Will I vote for him? Maybe he's like right now on my list of, you know, uh, three, you know, the three Democrats that I like. Right. And, and then there's so there's three. There's there, three that I like. Tulsi, who's the other two? Wait, who, other than Tulsi, who are your two? Yeah, I, I like Yang. I like uh, Tulsi, I like Yang, and I like Marianne Williamson. 
Oh, I love Mariana Hosa. Well, okay. I half ironically like Mariana. Like, I know, I know. I like the positivity she brings. I know it's so silly, but look, if Trump delightful name. Right. If Trump can win, why can't Marianne Williams if Trump can be president, why can't Marianne Williamson be president? Actually, you might think I'm crazy, but I think she would actually have a significantly better chance against him than Joe Biden or half of these people. Oh, probably. I think I she genuinely would. think she would. But so so I have those three on my list and I've I've made a commitment to go back and reevaluate Buttigieg because someone who yeah. I respect, I know, but someone who I respect told me they like him. So I'm going to go back and look at him again, but really just those three. And then any, crazy. any people that I don't know who might enter the race who I might like better than Trump. So, so maybe say for, maybe there's an unknown, right. And then Trump is number five. Yes. Heck yes. And if one of the other, if one of the illiberal Democrats wins, I'm voting for Trump because that's the most liberal option. Yep. People don't get that. It's like I voted, but the first Republican I ever voted for was this past November, which you guys know. I voted for um, Ted Cruz. It's the first time I voted Republican, and I don't regret it in the, the least because he has proven to be, he was the most liberal candidate. He was much more liberal than Beto, and Beto's continued oh. to spiral into SJW authoritarian. Yeah, he's gotten worse, actually. He's since gotten worse. One of the worst. Yeah. I th- I th- did you guys hear this week? I think it's so funny when you said about like how they come, they accuse everyone else of what they do. Like how many times did we hear Hillary Clinton say, oh, those who don't accept the outcome of an election are right. a direct threat to our democracy. Did you hear what that crazy bitch said this week? Yeah, yeah. she thinks she won still. She was like, oh, well, I can, uh, we, there needs to be a rematch because, you know, obviously, obviously I can beat him again. Again. <laughs> Again. Beat him. She's Again. Sad. But that's how, but it's like, that's the thing is that we are expected to live in their reality where she is president and she mm-hmm. won the election. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. The thing that, the thing I just want to say, cause there's some mentions in chat about some of the candidates as well. Um, my, my litmus test is, well, I want to say if it's a litmus test, uh, any candidate who doesn't actively and vocally oppose social justice ideology will fall to it, which is why for me, Trump's the only viable candidate because yes. everyone else, including Tulsi, has kowtowed to social justice and they will just get worse. So if you don't have a principled stance, you'll die. Like social justice will run you right over. Ask anyone who's tried to apologize to the mob. Ask all the knitters. The only people who <laughs> are left, right? the only people who are left is the ones who stood up. Well, I've decided I'm not going to vote Democrat as a statement to them that I'm pissed off. I don't care who the candidate is. Uh, when I I voted for Obama twice, I did not vote for Hillary. I didn't want Trump. I didn't want Trump in office, but I also didn't want Hillary. But mostly, I was determined not to vote the lesser of two evils, which is what how I saw it at the time. So I just I gave my vote to whoever the third thing was. I don't even know. But I voted for Protest whoever vote. that third thing was because I want my I want the statistics to be out there of what people did, but I knew they wouldn't win. Can't even remember who it was. But yeah, I think Damn. my yeah, I'm gonna make a point again, which is I'm not voting Democrat because I'm walking away. You guys need to hear this. You need to hear us. We're walking away. And that's kind of that's how I see it. You know, it's like Trump. It's not a 100% of course you have my vote, although I am very happy with many, many things he's done. I'm still just going to kind of see what the options are and vote my conscience. But it's like, 
he might, he probably will end up with my vote because I'm, I'm very happy with what I've seen him do, especially on issues that I really did care about actually as a liberal, which are prison no reform in, in inner city. Uh, what do they call it? Opportunity zones. Yes. Opportunity zones. Like he is actually making an, a difference and economic reality for impoverished areas and especially prison reform. And so I'm just yeah. like, uh, yeah. He's pretty much got my vote, but we'll see, you know. It's weird because on the left, they don't hear about those things. No. I, I think that they've taken a lot of people who didn't vote for Trump or maybe were kind of ambivalent, maybe would have stayed home, wouldn't have voted, who now, because of the insanity of Democrats and the ridiculousness, will crawl through broken glass to vote for him. Yeah, you're totally right. You're totally right, Mike. And, I mean, it's, and it's so true what you said too, Carter, because you had said that last time I was on about if you are not actively fighting against this ideology, you will succumb to it. And I love Tulsa Gabbard, but you were totally right because she just came out for impeachment. She came out like- Yeah, she succumbed okay. when they pressured her, she caved because she's yep. not, she doesn't have the principled stance. I it's actually really, I actually really like her too. And I was thinking to myself, would I vote for her? And then I was like, oh, wait a minute. I can't, I'm not going to, cause I need them to hear me. I'm not, I'm, I want them to see that I've walked away. But at the same time, I worry that for her, I do worry that she doesn't understand what's happening with the SJWs. And therefore she's very much at risk of falling prey to their authoritarianism. Exactly, exactly, Gracie. Yeah. A Democrat, because the thing is I can't, because if let's say she became president, that isn't just her, that puts all other Democrats in power. And they have too much power as it is now, culturally and in every other institution in this country. And I, there's no way in hell that I'm going to vote to put the government in alignment with every corporation, every academic institution, the entire media, all of Silicon Valley, and then add the <laughs> government in there. Hell no. Right. You need some. You need something opposed. So, Mikey, you're actually articulating why. So I did vote for Trump. I think I'm the only one here who voted for Trump. But I didn't vote. I haven't voted for. Now, now, wait, wait. Let's all do a moment of like pointing and screeching. Okay, sure. Point and screech at me. <laughs> I, I hadn't. Look, I as an anarchist, I didn't even believe in voting. I didn't want to legitimize the system. Like I haven't. I hadn't voted. He mobilized me to vote not because I thought his policies. I actually thought his policies would be probably the same as every other freaking president. Like they say one thing, get in office, kind of do the same thing that the deep state wants for almost every instance. I mean, there's really very little difference between Bush and Obama. I know that's going to yes. trigger people who are like, you know, in one party or another, but there's very little functional difference between anything that they did policy-wise. Yeah. I expected the same from Trump, but the one thing that Trump mobilized me over was he was actively fighting the, the cultural war. He knew about the culture war and he was fighting the cathedral. And I was like, all right, if all he does is everything Obama did, but stands up once in a while when he has the cameras on him and disses social justice and attacks them directly and tries to destroy the mainstream media, which is a farce and a propaganda arm for the deep state, He's got my vote. That's enough. That's all I want out of him. And he's done that mostly. Yeah, this is what has been the most astonishing to me when I finally said, why did he get elected? And I started listening to people. I was like shocked at the variety of reasoning. Yeah. We had one of the most interesting civility dinners we ever had was um, we went around the room and, and people told, cause two people started arguing. And then I was like, well, why, what does everyone think? Why do you think Trump got elected? And so at the civility dinners, you have people who voted for Trump, you have people who voted for Clinton, you have people who voted third party, didn't vote, whatever. 
And so it's very interesting to hear each person give their reason because, um, and, and especially to hear uh, Clinton voters say why they thought Trump won and why they won or why people voted for him. And then to hear the people who voted for him articulate why they did. And it was so different. It's like that whole thing about watching two different movies. Yeah. They, they think they know why, they think they know why Trump voters voted for him, but they don't. And they don't want to listen to why they did. Well, that's a theme, actually. They uh, it ascribe intention to their enemy always. Yeah. yeah. I think for me, the thing that I like about him with all of his flaws is that given my background, that I come from a sort of punk rock background and a punk rock mentality, which is questioning authority and going against the grain and the status quo, he is a disruptor. He is disrupting all of the status quo institutions in this country. He's a wrecking um, ball, yeah. Yeah, and I feel like anybody who claims to have any sort of anti-establishment, anti-authoritarian vibe has to appreciate that. Um, but another thing I'd like to say is as much as I probably will vote for him and I like a lot of things he's doing, I have to say, I do think that Trump derangement syndrome sometimes goes both ways, that there are a lot of people who think he walks on water and you cannot criticize him. Oh, yes. And yes. it is insufferable. So I'm always trying to tell people like, you know, do not become the thing that you walked away from. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and to be clear, he is a little bit of an authoritarian, not more than Obama. Yeah. Right? Obama had signed a hell of a lot of executive orders and claimed power that he didn't constitutionally have and had, you know, bombing Tuesdays with his drones. So, like, look, Trump Trump is bad, but he's not I don't think he's materially different policy-wise from anyone else, but he is culturally better. much different. I th I actually think he's better policy. But like I you know, I've given a Maybe. lot of thought and I what I realized is that when I weigh the pros and cons of every candidate running, Trump's pros are all policy-based and his cons are word-based. But when it comes to Democrats, their mm -hmm. cons are vehemently and inherently policy-based and principle-based. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. His, his mood. And I'm just, I don't care about words anymore. I'm tired of hearing about words. And look, as a, as a, as a someone who, who doesn't want to be entangled in wars overseas, Trump's the first first president I've heard in, I think, my lifetime who has made the argument like, hey, we shouldn't be in these wars overseas. Let's bring yeah. our troops home. Like, who the hell says that? Right. Hillary's Tulsi, like, Obama bomb them. The election. Tulsi, Tulsi says that. Yeah. She's not a president. I know. I know. Well, well hey, so one quick thing. I'm going to have to go to work soon. But I, I wanted to say that uh, this point you just made, Mikey, about you're always telling people don't become the thing that you walked away from. That to me is so important. And, and um, after the election, when I, like you, Gracie, I was trying to figure out what, why he won. And I was, I was like, a demagogue has taken the White House, you know, like, like trying to figure out why he won. But I started looking into it. I didn't just freak out. I started looking into it. And that's when my worldview started getting broader. And I started listening to people on the other side and, and all of that stuff. But um, pretty soon after that, it was either right before or right after the election, I went to a um, spiritual center for the equivalent of like a sermon, a lecture or something, right? And the guest uh, speaker or, or reverend, he he quoted that Nietzsche quote that's been sticking with me for so many, for three years now. He, um, the thing about like, be careful fighting monsters lest you become the monsters you fight. And that is like, I have to keep that in the forefront in my mind because it's no good to leave a rigid ideology just to go to another rigid ideology. And um, and I, and I, I, I'm just happy that you brought that up because I do see some people who've walked away just kind of flip 
where, or, or some people who used to be SJWs have now become anti-SJW and they just kind of become um, all the same characteristics, but very rigidly in this anti, you know, camp. And so, SJWs. right. And so it's like, just keep your, keep your, um, for me, it's about keeping that at the forefront of my mind and trying not to become uh, ever, ever again, find myself in a echo chamber that encourages me not to think not to engage with people who have different opinions. Yes. You know, not to question myself. So. Yeah. The other day I, I said to my daughter, you, well, I, both of my kids, I said, never trust someone who tells you that the world is going to end soon. I don't care. Yeah. If they're at, I said, I don't care if they're at your school, at your church, anywhere. I don't care where they are. Just be afraid of them. <laughs> So I, I agree. I think you can't just, you can't just say like this particular thing is dangerous. I think you have to make a kind of a type of person. They can exist over here and over here. Yeah. Mike, quick question. Someone just asked in chat, if you like being called Mikey, that's how you were introduced to me. So I've been calling you Mikey, but yeah. they noticed that you go by Mike on your thing. So we're just, <laughs> you don't uh, care. My, friend, my friends have always called me Mikey. So yes. All right. <laughs> I just want to make sure. That's just sort of my nickname, I guess. I didn't. I didn't want to be accused of being a racist Nazi homophobe. Did you so. misname me? Did you dead name me? <laughs> I just mm -hmm. I dead named you. <laughs> I want to. I want to say that we need. Uh, it's so funny because you know it's a big no no to ever tell somebody what their sexuality or gender identity is. Yet they can constantly tell us what we are politically. You're alt right. You're far right. You're Republican. You're <laughs> right. All these things. We need a term like misgendering for political. <laughs> oh yeah, that's ideologizing me or something. Mispartying me. <laughs> Mispartying like me. Mispartying. <laughs> that, that sounds. I don't know. Mispartying is what I'm going to be doing later tonight. Yeah, <laughs> there's the miss party right over there. <laughs> what are you doing for your birthday? Um, I'm actually working, so um, oh. I know that's fine. I went out last night, and uh, and then tonight I'm probably going to get uh, a very late dinner with a, a gentleman. <laughs> <laughs> I'm glad to hear he's a gentleman and not yes. a turf. Better be all <laughs> <laughs> does not treat you right. Um yeah he's he's a he's a good gentleman. Okay. Right. <laughs> it sounds like we need to it sounds like Carrie you're teeing us up to to sign off. Is that correct? Do you need yeah. to go? Yes, uh, I right. didn't go, but I, you guys, I love you. Thank you so much for spending. This was like the best part of my birthday so far. I'm like, I get to talk to these guys, my friends. And anyway, I'm just so happy that we met and I feel so blessed to have all three of you in my life. And um, anyway, have a good day. Yeah. We love you, Carrie. Have a, have a happy birthday. Yeah, <laughs> happy birthday, darling. Birthday, babe. We love you. I, thank Wait. you, Gracie and Mikey. What? Yeah, Sorry, where Carrie. can people find Gracie and Mikey and what are they up to? Oh, I have their YouTube channels um, in the comments, but if you want me to put uh, other stuff, send me what other stuff you, let me know what other stuff you want and I'll put it in the description. But where, why don't you tell people now? Yeah, where, how, can they follow, how can they follow you? Uh, you can follow me at readgracywest.com. I'm putting out a book in the near future. So if you're interested in a red pill fiction novel, modern, uh, sign up to get emails and I'll let you know when it's ready. Um, otherwise embarrassing mom on YouTube. I don't really tweet much, uh, but I am at read Gracie West on Twitter. Mikey. 
Ooh, I want to read that book. I'm excited. <laughs> um, uh, on the Twitter, I am Mikey the Harlow. Uh, Instagram is Sleepy Harlow. Facebook, Mike Harlow. Mike like Tyson, Harlow like Jean. Uh, I have a YouTube channel. I have a Patreon because I'm a two cent whore. So follow all the stuff. <laughs> nice. Well, thank you. Uh, thank you both for joining Carrie's birthday deprogram celebration. Carrie, do you want to remind people about book club? When is book club? Book club is going to be November 17th, which is a Sunday. And you guys, um, we're going to be reading, uh, we're reading the coddling of the American mind. So get a copy um, through our affiliate link. If you don't already have one and we hope that you'll join us for video discussion. Bye guys. All right. Awesome. Thanks everyone. Don't forget to like subscribe, share all that fun stuff. And, uh, Hit the bell. Yeah, hit the bell. We will see you um, tomorrow for another Copepi, like normal. So take care.